Hey, it's Tyler Brunetti. We just got done recording uh, this podcast episode, and I just want to talk to you about what it's about. Uh, it's about... I'm Sam. Hi. Uh, <laughs> Sam forget, Sobel. He yeah, talks a little bit about being awkward, just like yeah. that. <laughs> talk about being awkward. I talk about my experiences with comedy. I talk about my life, and we talk about Sir Mix-a-Lot. Yeah, Sir Mix-a-Lot is a, is a good reference we make towards the end. Yeah. I think we said goodbye for like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we made lots of references in that goodbye. We yeah. referenced Sir Mix-a-Lot. We referenced some football players. We referenced some books I haven't read. It, oh. it was good times were had by virtually no one. It's <laughs> Oh, especially James Gunn. Okay. <laughs> well, all right, guys. Enjoy the episode. Thank you. Here we are in my car again. Hooray. All right. I'm Tyler, and Hi. this is... Sam. Hi. I'm Sam Sobel. I'm also a comedian. What is that? Yeah, exactly. So... I asked Sam to to be on my podcast because I've been doing comedy with him for a while. Sam, how long have you been doing stand-up comedy? Uh, Tell us about it. Three years next month. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's a lot of fun. That's you know why I've been doing it for three years. It's. Uh, I don't. What else do you want to know? Like why? Why do you think it's fun? Because I mean, sure, people think like, oh man, that seems awesome, but then. <laughs> There's a lot of nerves in trying to get up to do it. There's, you know, the apprehensiveness of what if it goes bad. And I'm sure you've had shows that go bad. Oh, yeah, that, but nothing. That does happen. So, to be fair, when I say it's fun, like, one time it's fun, and then a couple times it's meh, and then every once in a while it's, oh, God, why am I doing this to myself? But those times when it's fun, it's just like, I... So it's just so fun, and like I really do enjoy this. I enjoy writing jokes. I enjoy making people laugh. I enjoy trying to make people laugh. I enjoy thinking about things in that way. So it's just I don't know. It it's all it all comes up aces. Nice. Um, and like, did you find yourself always trying to make people laugh, or is was it something that you kind of are developing or? What what drew you into doing comedy, and then what made you think like, oh yeah, I could totally make them laugh. I mean, it's I've always I've always liked making people laugh. I've always been a relatively funny person. I've always been the kind of person who didn't take many things very seriously. I've always enjoyed comedy, and what actually drew me, like I never would have thought of myself as doing stand-up comedy. I was when I first. When I first started, I was an atrocious public speaker. I had no stage presence. I really couldn't have, have imagined it. And then I was watching, actually, it was, I think it was Gabriel Iglesias' special from Hawaii, when he was talking about going to like Saudi Arabia and all these places. He's like, you go there and you make people laugh all around the world. And I was like, that's kind of beautiful. Like, I'm like, I, I, I'm funny. I make people laugh. I, I want to try this. I want to see if I can make people like I can make people having a conversation. I want to see if I can do this. And I tried it and the first time went well and the second time went well and then it <laughs> fell off for about a year. But at that point it didn't matter. I was already hooked. I think that's the best part is when uh, 
when like it goes well the first time and people are like oh beginner's luck and then it goes well the second time and you're like i think i got this and then all of a sudden it's like oh crap <laughs> oh what's going on this is so much what yeah no it's really interesting there's this is, i think it's a psychological study i remember hearing about a while ago it's, with anything it's like at the very beginning of anything you start to do, you think you're really good. And then as it goes on, you believe in yourself less, you believe in yourself less, and then you start to get better and you start believing in yourself a little more, but you all, it's like really, really difficult to get back up to believing in yourself as much as you did like the second, the, the first or second time you ever did it. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, I, I definitely feel that way. The very first time I got on stage, my first joke went well, the next two bombed horribly. <laughs> Just crickets, and then the next like three did good, and I was like, I I could do this. And then the next set I did, I only got laughs when I apologized for the joke that I just did. I would go up and be like, this joke, and they'd be like, no, like, I'm sorry, I did that, and they'd laugh at that. I'm like, oh okay, I'm doing okay. And then I would go, and then I I bombed as well for a little while, and then I did. It was like one of those things where the very first night. People were congratulating my own friends, and then it was. I guess I'm gonna. This is a thing I do now, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. So what it was the first? Well, actually, no. I technically the first time I did it, it went well. The third time it went well. The second time it went not terribly. <laughs> but so the the two of the first three open mics I did were at a comedy club in Madison, Wisconsin, the Comedy Club on State Street, which has the most well attended open mic I have ever been to. Yeah, it is a it is like a jet like it's a comedy club that's like reasonably full, and they the audience is there. They pay attention. Like it is the most forgiving comedy audience I've ever had. So like <laughs> that that's the thing of those first two sets, I have like a couple punchlines I've actually kept, but like they went really well there. And then you start doing those other open mics where it's like, oh, this is a bar that's literally just comedians. And then it's like, oh, wait, this is this is going less well. Oh, those go horribly. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it also helped. So, the, again, the first two times I got on stage, there was another guy at the open mic also named Sam. He and his first time was the same night as my first time. The first mic, he went before me. And it is top, I'd say top two or three worst sets I have ever seen in my life. Dang! It was, yeah, it was some guy who wanted to do a bunch of, like, racist and rape jokes. But I don't know, I don't know if he was nervous, high, drunk, or genuinely insane. (laughs) Or some combination therein. But he forgot all the punchlines. I will remember his closer till the day I die. His closer was, they say one out of four women will get raped, but, like, you'll be fine. <laughs> that is so awful. That is... <laughs> yeah, I know. And there's, That's the worst joke yeah, I've heard. Yeah, and there's heard. something really, really refreshing to sitting at an open mic when I was really nervous. And here's, here's the thing. Uh... So it was an it was the old mega comic club. It's it was kind of fun. It's two dollars to get in. So like me and my friends had gone a few times beforehand, and like I I only told one of them I was planning to do this. So then naturally, 
his my friend's girlfriend who didn't know I was planning to get on stage that night invited her friend who I was who was I was interested in and would end up going on a date with a couple weeks later. That's another story that's not relevant here. Yeah. But like she invites her friend, and I was like, oh, crap, I didn't tell her I was doing this. This is going to be my first time. This is going to be awful. But there is something amazingly refreshing and enlightening to knowing that no matter what happens, you cannot be the worst Sam on that stage that night. Oh, man, that is so... I, I find that so reassuring I, just to not be the worst. When you when you know the bar is set so low that no one no one will... Because like, somebody has that story for every... Everybody has a story where they're like, oh, man, the worst person I saw. And, like, some offensive, something weird, something something horrendous. And when you hear those horror stories, you're like, as long as I'm not a complete jerk and, remember, like, bring something up to help remember, like, I guess I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. It's so refreshing doing that. Uh, and so girl who was there obviously impressed you did stand up right apparently yeah she, she she said yes when i asked her out a couple weeks later we had we it went on we went on one date it didn't go like particularly well and we didn't go on any more but like she said <laughs> <laughs> she said yes the first time so like it definitely could have gone worse very true very true so so stand up comedy helped you get a date. That's that's fun. I find it it's strange to me, and I think you have a joke about like the fact that everybody is always like, Wow, you do stand up comedy. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I I find I being able to go up on stage and plan what you're going to say <laughs> in a conversation is like it's like cheating a conversation. You're like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to have yeah. these great, it's like when you, um, when you have a bad conversation one day and you're in the shower later thinking like, man, how could I have made that conversation better? <laughs> I feel like stand up is that conversation you can have after you think about what could I have said better? Yeah. Yeah. A definite. Yeah. It's kind of like the, a little, yeah. Stand up is, you're right. It's cheating in a conversation because you know what you're going to say. And to me. And, and at, at least when you're when I was first starting to do crowd work, crowd work should you should kind of be like a lawyer asking you. They t say when you're a lawyer, never ask a question you don't know the answer to. If you're for me, it, most of my crowd work is one question go into a bit. Mm -hmm. Never ask a question you don't know the answer to, because if they give you an answer you're not expecting, throws off the timing, throws off the rhythm, and especially. When you're new to crowd work, that is just, it, it'll throw off the whole set. Oh, man. I um, I think the funny crowd work is when, because I, I see, and I've done this, where you try to like, almost be like a roast comic when you're doing crowd work <laughs> and just immediately alienate people. <laughs> I think I did it at the, the Seneca show you were at a while back. Where I was like, I was doing like a 40 minute set or something. I started off, I was trying to like say something to people. And I was like, somebody had to shirt on like a sweatshirt and said West Virginia. Mm. And we're in Ohio. I went, hey, wrong state. Next person. <laughs> like not, not a good burn or anything, but it was just awful. And then it was just like, all right, don't do that next time. Got yeah, it. Maybe. Impromptu roast jokes 
are a real hit or miss proposition. Like, oh, so much so. <laughs> it's also like, it's like if you're if you're Big J Oaks, Big J Oaks is mostly impromptu roast jokes. Oh yeah, like there are people who can pull it off and pull it off really well. But it also helps if the people in the audience know what they're getting into. If, if you, but like that show, it was people who I'm pretty sure we're mostly there for the free pizza, and then we're too nice to leave before the after they got the pizza. Oh yeah, it, it, some people mm-hmm. only stayed because they were like, "Well, I want to eat another slice of pizza after this one." <laughs> yeah. So they'd stay for like five minutes, and then they were like, "Well, okay, I got my pizza. <laughs> I'll go watch TV." Yeah, and then yeah, and then the impromptu roast jokes is just like. Especially with a small audience, it's like, there's five people here, I'm here, I'm supporting you way more than I had to be, and now you're being mean to me, and I don't need this in my life. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun, though. <laughs> um, have you had any, what, what were, do you have any stories about, like, your worst show you ever did? worst show I ever did. And I'm not talking about like, oh, I feel so bad after the show. Because I'm talking about like, it was just a bad situation. Okay, so I was hosting an open mic this one time. And it's a, so there's 20 comics on the list. The first seven or eight go fine. It's, it's, it's open mic comedy, but like, there's nothing particularly spectacular. Then there's one guy, he's new. He tells me when he signs up, hey, this bit's seven minutes. I'm like, you've got five. He's like, I can maybe do it in six and a half. I'm like, you've got five. <laughs> he does this seven-minute love- version anyway. It's not funny. The final three minutes are a song. He, so he basically wanted to pontificate on the nature of truth or something. The final three minutes are some with some song about a unicorn. It was... <laughs> Like I, I, t- I said earlier, the that one set was top. It was like one of the two or three worst sets I've ever seen. This yeah. was another one of the two or three worst sets I've ever seen. And literally, seriously, the first, the the other Sam had a worst set overall because like this guy wasn't actually offensive, but it was. Tw- but like this other guy was spent twice as long doing it as the other Sam. So it was bad. Then like two comics later, I think it was you actually. You're doing <laughs> you were doing some crowd work on this big dude at the bar. And this no. guy and then you got off stage and like I came up and did like one more joke at me. He's like, Alright, I'm getting on stage right now. <laughs> I forgot and about that. He just gets on stage. And I was like you are much bigger than me, so this is your <laughs> microphone now. And he's like, I'm a former Ohio State pl- football player, and now I'm a motivational speaker, and we are going to get excited because we're playing Army tomorrow. And I'm just like, oh, God, I have completely lost control of this room. <laughs> and then I even encouraged him to do that. I forgot about that. <laughs> and then I, like, fi- I like finally got him. I was just like, hey, wrap it up. And I got him off stage. And then, like, two or three comics later, this other guy who's, like, relatively new at the time. So here's the thing. A whole bunch of the audience had left at this point. <laughs> like, two lesbians came in after... I promise the fact that they're lesbians is slightly relevant. <laughs> <laughs> Just enough to mention that they are, in yeah. fact. So, like, they came in after this... Uh, after this... After this already happened... Most of the audience who were there at the time that the football player got on stage had left. Like, two or three comics later, 
Most of them's gone. This new comic's doing a set. It's not going well. Like, the two lesbians get up and start leaving. And he makes some comments about the football player. Or he said, I think he said the Buckeye or something. Whatever he said, the, he mumbled it a little bit. They, one of them thought he said something, like, about the lesbians. Oh, like, offensive? Yeah. She turns, <laughs> like, I will kick your ass. And I was just like, her girlfriend was, like, kind of holding her back. I was like... Oh, crap. I'm the host. I think if she actually starts approaching him, it's my job to break up this fight before I get this open <laughs> mic canceled. <laughs> like, I was just like, please get, please be successful, girlfriend, in getting her out of the bar. And oh. she was, luckily. But it was just like, and at that point, there's like one non-comic audience member left. And I was just like, this is the weirdest night of comedy. I have ever been a part of. And I was just like, I was like, probably should have done a joke to get the room back. But at that point, I was still relatively new to hosting. And I was, I was phased. I was like, I was just like, I just need to get the show over with at this point. So then literally, I like get him off stage. I bring up the next comic. And then the first thing the next comic says like, dude, you probably should have done a joke or two to warm up the room or something. Cause like, <laughs> He was, like, critiquing you, like, giving you crap. Yeah, a little bit. Which, like, to be fair, I kind of deserve. That was the, we like, that was a show. Oh. That was, I'd say that was, I don't know if that's a, like, I've had, in terms of, like, actual quality of jokes, I've had sets that are just, like, really bad sets. I've had audiences that just aren't paying attention. In terms of just weirdest night of comedy I have ever been a part of, that was the weirdest night of comedy I have ever been a part of. Oh, I'm so I'm so glad you told that story and that I was a part of it in like a <laughs> negative way. <laughs> like I'm gonna tell the, the the like him bartering with you like it's an old timey sales pitch. <laughs> eh how about you give me seven? How about five? <laughs> this is America. We don't barter. Mm. Ah, what about six and a half? Mm. No. Ah, they're going to love it. Mm. And then nobody loved it. Yeah. Um, it was a... I remember that, too, because I was like, I'm going to do crowd work because, like, the next person didn't really pick up the, the audience or mm. anything. And I was like, I'm going to do crowd work and get everybody back in the mm. show. And the guy you're talking about, my whole crowd work with him was like, they could have cast you as Luke Cage. <laughs> like, that was, my whole thing was like, you are so big and buff, you could be a superhero. And then I remember seeing him, like, you talking into the microphone and him just get on stage <laughs> next to you and be like, this microphone's mine now. And you're like, I guess it's yours. <laughs> oh, that was a fun night. I didn't, I don't, I'm not, I don't remember if I was there for the part where the lesbians wanted to fight that guy, but... The room cleared out a lot after that motivational speaker. It was like... So it was like getting that point in the show where, like, the audience was gonna start clearing out naturally anyway. Yeah. And at, but at that point, it was also just been so weird. That <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone was just kinda done. Nice. Uh, and so what has kept you doing stand-up comedy... In the, the bad times. Um. I, I. It's some combination of I really enjoy it. And I really, really don't want to have to get a real job when I graduate. Like, Honestly, I think not having a real job is awesome. Yeah. It's a good goal. It's 
It's one of those things, though, with comedy, you kind of realize that you might just be doing it for fun. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing. If if I wasn't having fun, I'd stop showing up. Like, like this, it takes up way too much of your time for you to not enjoy doing it. Right? Like, I'm, you know, if I'm on a good week, I'm trying to get to open mics, like, you know, or shows or something, like, three, three times a week. That is... Several hours I could be spending relaxing or seeing my other friends or being a productive member of society that I'm doing comedy. Like, I, what got me going through the bad times was just remembering it could be worse and just knowing that, like, when it does go well, it's a, it's a really good feeling. I really, I keep doing it because I love it because I've never, I've never, I'll have those days where I'm like, maybe I'm not good enough to do this, but I have enough of the days where I'm like, this was great, I can do this, that I'm just like, why not? I'm going to see how far this can take me. Yeah. I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm just like, even if I'm awful, I'm like, screw it, I'm having fun. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. I feel like is a point some people get to, but it's... I, I do say it is a time commitment. It's definitely fun. But I think innately you've talked about this. The fact that you're Jewish <laughs> is like a driver for your stand-up comedy. You're like, this. We're, we're in Columbus and you're the only Jewish person in the scene. And you find that offensive. <laughs> a little bit. It's it's a little weird. Because like comedy is a very Jewish art form. It's like, it's a combination of complaining about... <laughs> like... It's a combination of complaining about things and wanting, desperately wanting people to like you. And what are Jews really good at? Complaining <laughs> about things and trying to get people to not kill us. That's that's what we do. It's our thing. It's our shtick. And it is a little weird to me that I'm the only... Well, there are a couple of others who show up once and say, I'm the only Jew consistently doing this in Columbus. Which is just, again, really... Kind of bizarre. Ah, I don't know. I think maybe you just go recruit people, Sam. <laughs> just call up all my Jewish friends like, hey, you should do stand-up comedy. Like, <laughs> just, just start calling people up. Did you know you're predispos predisposed to being funny on stage in front of people? I actually, I actually have done that a couple times. I'll have a... <laughs> I'll have a, I'll like go to a Shabbat dinner and a friend of mine will be like, I kind of want to do stand up. I'll be like, yeah, come, I'm going to this open mic right after this. You can come do it. And it has never gone well for them. <laughs> like just their first time on stage or like they just hate it or. So it's mostly in a, mostly it's a combination of inexperience. And if you're coming from a Shabbat dinner, you're going to get there late, which means you're going to be late on the list. Which means the, most of the audience will have left at that point because it's like 11.30 on a Friday night in a bar in Columbus. And, and, and like, so, yeah. And and also, I'm like, they're like, oh, I, I might do this at some point. I'm like, no, come do this in four hours. <laughs> and so I don't give them a ton of time to prepare. <laughs> Do you make them do, like, a full five-minute set? I don't make them do it. I'm just like, oh, you're interested in doing stand-up? There's no time like the present. I know an open mic happening in four hours. <laughs> and so then they're just scrambling. Oh, my God, how could it be funny? Yeah, or it's like, it'll be like, 
And one time he was like, I've, he's like, I mostly do music at open mics. And it was just like, and now he's like, oh, I'm writing jokes. And another time he was just like, oh, I did this one other time at a work talent show. And I'm going to hold the mic down around my navel. Ooh, not good. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it was like, that was not a great set, but it would have been slightly better if the audience could have heard you. Yeah. That's, I found, like, if an audience can't hear you, they don't laugh as much. Yeah, it is very hard to get people to laugh at jokes they don't hear. Really weird, really strange fact. Yeah. <laughs> no, have you ever thought about recruiting them to a show where they might have more success? So, here's the thing. Uh, someone, someone pitched, the, there's a young Jewish professional's group in Columbus and someone pitched he's like hey we should have a comedy show as an event you and like these other couple people who are funny and I was like yeah sure and I was like wait you're drunk right now you're not gonna remember this in the morning and I don't know if you and I didn't really follow up but he never mentioned it again and then the other person he mentioned as being on the show moved to DC and then it never happened so like that's the thing. The, like, brand new... Brand new comedians... The best environment you can put them in... It's either an environment of mostly their friends... Or an environment of people... Who paid to get in and want to be supportive. I think that's... That's a huge piece of advice... Is to have your friends there your first time. Because a lot of people don't want their friends there their first time. They're like, this is going to be bad. I don't want anybody there. But it's like, your friends are the ones who already laugh at you. Yeah, no. So Get he, them to go. They'll he, laugh at you more. Honestly, it's kind of a mixed bag. It's like, you bring your friends early. And they're... It's great because you have someone supportive in the audience. But also, you wear out your, hey, come to my comedy shows really quickly and then you go do like a real show where an act where you're like oh i'm so much better than i was when i first started and they're like yeah but like we've already seen you and it's just a little it's harder to get them to come out but i will say my favorite my favorite comedians at open mics are the new are the because are the new comedians who brought all their friends because the uh. new comedians who brought all their friends a don't realize that you that like you put them fifteenth because they brought all their friends and you want them to stay. <laughs> and B, they brought an audience, and it's nice when there are people in the audience who aren't comedians. Audience is comedy currency, man. Yeah, that's how you pay people. You're like, oh, I can bring five people. They're like, you're on the show. <laughs> like, it doesn't yeah. even have to be a ton of. If you're like, I think I have three people coming. They're like, damn. <laughs> You yeah. got people that go away from their phones and computers and TVs for a night. Yeah, it's like there are two ways yeah. to get booked in comedy. You can either get funny enough that everyone's like, I want... Well, no, there are three ways. You can get funny enough that everyone's like, I want this guy on my show. You can just be a really great hang and everyone's like, I want this dude around. Come be on my show. Or you can keep bringing people to like crappy open mics. Someone's like, shoot, I bet he'd bring people to my crappy show. <laughs> Oh, man. It is a huge mixed bag, though. I will agree with you, though. Because uh, you 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 want to invite mm. people early to support you so you have a good show. Mm. But you're also, like, the worst you'll be at stand-up comedy. Yeah. So when you're doing it for more, like, multiple years, mm. I still have friends where I'm like, hey, you should come to my show. And they'll be like, ah, maybe. Mm. Uh, because they remember... 
when I was when I just ate turds on stage. <laughs> and and now that I don't just eat turds and I do okay, I'm like maybe. Mm. And so I've been posting videos and something. Your stuff's really good. And I'm like, you should come to my show. Mm. And then they're still like, that's okay. Yeah, it's amazing how people are like, hey, tell me when your next show is. And I'm like, my next show is this day. Oh, sorry, we can't make it that day. But like, have fun. Oh, yeah. I am um, like doing theaters and stuff. And I'm like, I'm really excited about it. And I think when you first start, there's an excitement to the fact that you're starting it. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, we want to be there. I can't believe you're starting this. This is so cool. And then you're like, hey, I'm still doing it. And they're like, yeah, we're not excited anymore. Yeah, it's it was, like. Yeah, no, it's interesting when it's like cool when you first start and it's cool again if you like get a credit big enough that they can brag their friends about it. Mm -hmm. But like in that middle stretch, it's like, oh, you're going to do your jokes at this other crappy bar. Like, actually, I, I shouldn't say that. A lot of the bars are really nice and they let us perform. They're nice bars that you should go to. Yeah, they might have more than three stars on Yelp. <laughs> They're real nice. Yeah, I, so I apologize for disparaging the bar, but it's like, oh, you're doing another show at another local bar. It's like, eh, we could go see you do that another time when we're less busy, and yeah, it's uh, it's tough to get people to come out. It really is. Okay, I want to ask you a couple more questions. One, uh, what is the best piece of stand-up advice you've ever gotten or learned or received or just just the best piece of advice you've ever thought let's see the the one the first one that comes to my mind is so someone told me fairly early on like I said the first two times the first two or three times went pretty well and then it like diminishing returns diminishing returns and someone when I was a few months in told me look you should expect to suck for a year like, it is going to take a long time to get good at this. And that was kind of comforting. It's just, like, knowing if I put the work in, I will get better. And, like, a lot of people were bad when they started. So, like, that's good. Um, In terms of other advice that I just like to give people, you're never better than the audience. Like, I don't care how great you think your joke is. If the audience doesn't laugh then it's a, you need to do better. Like it, your goal, your job is to not, not to prove to people how edgy you are, or how smart you are, or how well you see the world. You're, you, you, if you don't entertain the audience, then why bother doing that? Just post a think piece on Facebook. Like that's, that's the other thing I've seen where people are like, people are like, oh, that joke's great. The audience didn't get it. And it's like, no, that's not... A, that's a terrible way to get better as a comic. <laughs> and, oh. and, like, there are audiences that are much harder to deal with. But if you consistently blame the audience, you're not going to get any better. And, like, I feel like, to a certain degree, you're missing the point of why you would get on stage and tell these jokes. Oh, I agree. I think uh, you have to go to your audience. Um, so, you, I mean, there are some times where, like, I, I mean, I performed at, like, a 55 and Thrive. <laughs> and I got some laughs. But, like, I did not use that as my barometer of my jokes. Where I'm like, I'm a 26-year-old male who lives with his parents after college. <laughs> Let's see if this group of 55 and Thrive of, re like, retirees playing billiards 
are gonna love my jokes. So. But it it so it definitely sometimes it depends a little on the audience. But you definitely gotta you you need to know your audience and be like, all right, if they don't like it, I need to be self aware enough. And I think a lot of mistakes happen where you like people start out and they get a video and there's not a lot of laughs on the video, mm-hmm. and then they post it. <laughs> And, like, show off to all their friends. Like, look at how great this joke was that made no one laugh. And you're like, you're like, no, don't do that. You're going to be so good in a year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, occasionally you'll see those people where they have those jokes. It's like, ooh, that joke was not good. And it made people really uncomfortable. And then you show up the next week and they're doing the same joke. And it's like, you did not learn Oh, yeah, I think you need to learn every time you're on stage. If you don't learn, it's like, no, the same mistake for half a year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and then I I think the last question I'm going to ask is, because I I feel like people don't talk enough about what what has stand-up added to your everyday life? How has it made your everyday life better? So, really, a lot of it is my... So, I'm, as I become more comfortable, as I become more comfortable performing, I've also just become more comfortable interacting with people. Like, I've always been a fairly awkward person on stage and off stage. But like, as I've gotten more comfortable on stage, I've gotten a little less awkward off stage. So like, now occasionally people say things like, "Oh, you're kind of charming," or "You're charismatic," or "We like the way you talk," and I'm like, "Oh, I." was not expecting to get those compliments because I've been really bad at most of those things for most of my life. Like, that's... So really just getting more comfortable around people and, like, not assuming everything I say is going to be stupid and make people hate me. (laughs) That is definitely something that has added to my life. Nice. Nice. Um, Well, I think that... That's a good point to end on that, you know, people don't hate Sam Sobel every time he <laughs> yes. talks. We, Ple- we like it. Yes, I appreciate it. I fa- thank you for not hating me unless you do hate me, in which case, uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I'll try to do better next time. Also, are you at any point going to record a podcast where people ask you these questions? Or is that what the introduction was? Um, I think I think sometime I'll probably have somebody ask me these questions, uh, but... You know, I kind of just want to talk to other people for now. And then, you know, if people care enough that they're like, hey, Tyler, this is unfair. We want to hear you talk about it. I'll be like, fine. I'm so sorry. Don't bully me. (laughs) Uh, But and I I definitely so Sam Sowell, him and I also work a lot with a guy named Jesse and Jesse Pimpinella and Time Moore. We'll probably get them on at some point. And then I plan on also doing a podcast with all four of us. And I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but until then, we'll, we'll call it an end for now. Uh, I think I said this on the intro, so I'm just going to keep saying it. Uh, take it easy. Take it sleazy. Take it any way you can get. <laughs> <laughs> um, you want to try saying that? It's a lot of fun. Take it easy. Take it sleazy. Take it any way you can get. Yep, as long as it's consensual. All right. <laughs> okay, that just that made it so much worse. <laughs> it's one of those awful jokes that people will. I I think it's one of those things that it's so awful people will be like, oh, 
that was dumb and stupid and I don't like it. But they're going to remember it and say it. They'll be like, hey, I got a dad joke that's a little dirty for you. Uh, ba- back when I had a podcast, my sign-off, I, I just started to make my sign-off, I have been the once in future Sam, which I really <laughs> like. <laughs> Especially because there was another, my other co-host was also named Sam. Oh, but man. then the other Sam moved to DC and I got busy and we haven't recorded a podcast in like seven months and I'm hoping to bring it back at some point. But like the ones of you just like, yeah, sounds... mostly because I can't say sleazy without so- it sounding really weird coming out of my mouth. I know it <laughs> sounded great. <laughs> <laughs> I also like how sci-fi that exit is. The once and future Sam. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Once and Future King, I think, is the name of a book, like one of the King Arthur, a book about King Arthur. I haven't actually read it, but like, if you ever look at those lists, like best sci-fi fantasy novels of all time, which I've looked at those lists several times, I'm looking for book recommendations. Once the Once and Future King shows up on it a decent amount, and I was like, I think I start, I think we were I started because like we were arguing over who the real Sam was, and I said I'm the Once and Future Sam because I can make literate, <laughs> and I was like. Maybe I said something and I sent it. I sent the podcast to my friend. And they were like, "You should sign off with I have been the once in future Sam." And I was like, "Brilliant! I'm taking that and I'm incorporating it." I don't remember exactly where it came from, but I really like it. So he's been sleazy. I've been the once in future <laughs> Sam. Oh, only consensually. All right. <laughs> Uh, anything they can follow you on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I have I have a Facebook. I have an Instagram. Um, it's just my name, Sam Sobel, S-O-B-U-L. Uh, I don't know how following works on Facebook. I should probably make, like, a comedian page on Facebook, but there's a part of like, I'm not a big enough deal yet. Don't make a comedian page until I do something big enough to put on a comedian page. But, like, you can follow me on Instagram. I will... In, unless you look like unless you look like a terrible person or a bot, I'll probably follow you back. Um... Yeah, I follow everybody back. Yeah. I don't post much on Instagram, so like if you want to see me... I don't post much on social media. It's like, oh, I have this show. Post. I don't... <laughs> I don't want... I don't like putting my opinions and thoughts out there, because it's like, oh, there's a very real chance this won't age that well. Because that's the thing. There was a few times I like put my thoughts out there on Facebook on like high school, and I look back, and I was just like, oh, God, how was I this pretentious? I, I had an old Facebook status show up, and it just said, Justin Urena is a god, exclamation point. And I was like, what's that? What when, What happened? Where There was no context. And I feel like that's just bad to have on there forever. Just me being like, I worship this guy. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I, I don't want to say something. Because here's the thing. I, I, I thought about being awkward and bad at things for most of my life. I've been an idiot for a lot of my life. I've, like, I have held plenty of opinions when I was, like, 17 that I'm, like, real ashamed of now. So it's like, oh, that was eight years ago. Who knows what I'll be ashamed of when I'm 33. <laughs> and now, and I'm just like, I don't want to put stuff out there. Do you think, if you post something stupid on Facebook when you're 16, you can still get drafted seventh overall to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. If you post something stupid on Facebook when you're 30, you can get fired from Guardians of the Galaxy. So, like, I'm definitely aiming to be more Josh Allen, less James Gunn, which, 
weapon. Here's the thing. Those are weapons that a lot of people will get, but the, I feel like the overlap in those two weapons is a real small. The Venn diagram, <laughs> real little in the middle. Yeah. Real little. A little in the middle, but she got much back. That's baby got back, right? Mm-hmm, and that's what it looks like on a Venn diagram. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shout out so Mix-A-Lot. All right, we'll call that it. Thank you, guys. <laughs>